For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, you may have heard Herd Tell. They're going to be an election. This is our election guy. He's been with us all this campaign season. Last push, buddy. We get to finish it off. Joe Zemanski, electionsdaily.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's a day before the election. Uh, who can believe it? Right there at the end. I don't. I don't think. I don't think anyone can. It's been a long cycle for sure. I think it feels like it's been a long cycle to a lot of people. Who've been uh, following along here but we're at the finish line finally so yeah yeah and for the podcasters that aren't watching on youtube which you ought to be though because we look fantastic he's all geared out in his phillies gear because he's a pennsylvania guy so we'll talk about that later um let's start big picture though because i think it's really important we we, we just go election cycle to election like we're going to start talking about obviously we're not going to be done with this tomorrow this is going to linger for a day or two we may have a couple of runoffs here in the next couple of weeks, we're just going to seamlessly transition into the presidential election in 2024 because that's just the beast now, right? Let's yeah. pause for a second, though. You analyze this stuff. You do the numbers. Midterms are different. We keep hearing it. We haven't actually talked about it, so let's go back because the 2018 was the last midterms. A lot of these same seats, these are the same seats. A lot of them are the same candidates, or now they're incumbents that are going to switch hands or not switch hands. There is a cycle to midterms that runs underneath everything else that's going on. And that's where you got to start when you're analyzing this stuff. Yeah. So I think there are always two key things with midterms. One, uh, for the party that lost the White House, whether that be Republicans or Democrats, they really see it as their first big opportunity to make a statement once again in the federal government. Because if, you know, under under these circumstances here, you know, uh, without that, you know, this is this is how they do it. This is their way of saying, hey. We want to take back some sort of power and get back to, you know, a government where we have some influence, because that's usually what, how it is. Obviously, this cycle is a little bit different. Uh, we have uh, a tied Senate. Obviously, we're at a 50-50 tied Senate. So that makes things different already. And Republicans are starting from an unusually high position uh, in their United States House total. They have 213 seats uh, currently. That's only five away from a the bare civil majority of 218 in this in the united states uh house of representatives so it's it's kind of an interesting thing this year uh i've heard a lot of people talk about you know you know if republicans only gain you know 20 to 30 seats that's not a wave election but we have if, if you go to the high end of that and you have republicans gaining 30 seats that's from 213 to 243 that would actually be more seats than democrats had after their wave election in 2018. Uh, and the second big thing is turnout. Uh, every midterm election, you know, obviously it does look like we're going to have a a 
probably a pretty high turnout midterm here is what it sounds like. But also the fact is that there are just people just there are certain folks who just don't turn out for midterm elections. So turnouts lower as well. So that makes things harder, too, because you've got to try and model and look at these things in a way where you can say, OK, if turnouts down here or here, what does that mean for certain candidates? And we saw that a lot in 2018, where just in certain places, Republicans didn't show up. Well, Democrats really did take it to the tumbler. Some Republicans just didn't show up in some areas uh, across the country. And that's what cost them the elections. Yeah, and it's an interesting perspective you put on there because just numbers-wise, 2018, Democrats went up plus 41. That looks like a huge number, but you have to put the perspective, and it was, you know, to their credit. It, it, it was. It was a huge there, number. That was a wave election by any definition for a lot of reasons. There's the Trump factors, a lot of other things. But there's also the underneath you say of, like, where you start to flip that number because sometimes you can, you know, like, I remember my first election was a midterm election, 98. That's the impeachment election. They only gained like 10 or 12 seats, but that was a massive swing because it never had happened before in an off midterm year that you would lose seats like that. The margins really matter when it comes to these midterm elections and the perspective matters. Yeah. And of course, to top it all off with this cycle, of course, we're coming into a redistricting uh, cycle, of course. This is the first time uh, since 2002 where a midterm is starting off under the new maps, obviously uh last decade 2010 2012 which was the first uh cycle under the uh the previous most of the previous iterations of uh, congressional maps we had that was a presidential election things are a little bit more funky then uh while we come with this cycle so that brings that adds another layer of intrigue to this is that we have a lot of uh new seats some people have some really new areas and I think that's kind of been under under discussed, actually. I think sometimes you're kind of looking at this, excuse me, a pure partisan baselines here. And that doesn't always match up because some of these people have really new areas. And it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how those areas react to, you know, their their new maybe swing district status or where they are located. Yeah. Joe Zemanski from elections-save.com. Usually we promote the site at the end of the interviews. Mm-hmm. I want to do it right now, though, because of what you just – my congressman was redistricted. Uh, I've been in one congressional district. I was in another this time. It's the first time I've been in a different one in a long time. You guys actually on elections-save.com, you have tools for this stuff. You've got maps. You've got interactive stuff. You've got the shuffler where you can try to figure out you know, what they need to do for the margin. Talk about a couple of those tools, because what you just talked about, that stuff's kind of hard to find when you Google search it, the news stories pop up. Y'all actually got, and we've been with you all since you started the site. Tell a couple of those tools, because this is one of those things where you really do need to look at the maps and things like that, don't you? Yeah, so I would say the big thing, I think, is our election shuffler. This is this is still one of my favorite tools to use. Uh it's where we have data now going back to the 2012 election. We have data from the 2012, 2016, and 2020 presidential elections. And using that, you can, as the as the uh, as the name of the tool implies, you can shuffle the margins in counties, and you can shuffle the turnout that comes out in those counties. And the turnout aspect of this really is what makes it interesting, because, like I said, you can shuffle it to what you know really bad turnout is to mediocre turnout to really good turnout. You kind of see where the margins need to be for certain candidates. Uh, to to win in certain key areas in certain states. Uh, we don't have it by congressional district yet. Uh, that's something we may be planning for the future, but we don't have that ability yet. 
But for now, you can go at a statewide state basis and see kind of the numbers that uh, candidates need to hit in certain states and key counties to get victory and see wins in elections. And we've used it, we've used it ourselves, of course, to help us in analyzing some of the key states along the way and seeing, OK, if we want to talk about it like this, you know, where what's the hit where these candidates can need to kind of hit these markers to see success and allowing you to use it sometimes shows, wow, this candidate really has such a tough hill to climb. Really hard for us to see him winning, even if this per, you know this guy candidate does really well. Uh, we've done that for New York, even. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about the New York gubernatorial election. You know, can Lee Zeldin pull it off? And we've done and we've looked at the shuffler and we've given him, you know, some of the best results you can get in key areas. You know, Hudson Valley and Westchester and upstate New York and Long Island and New York City. And even then, he's still losing by about 7% uh, to Kathy Hope, to a Democrat in that situation. It's just, it's one of those things that you look at, and it's just very, very hard to see a uh, a Republican winning statewide in New York. And that's what the kind of the shuffler allows you to do. You can kind of see, wow, you know, we did 20-point shifts in Long Island, a 15-point shift in the city, 20-point uh, shifts upstate in the Hudson Valley, and still it wasn't enough for him. So, you know, that's kind of just kind of the where and how it is. And that's it's one of my favorite tools to use. And I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in that uh, side of it to use it. And it's going to be a great and helpful resource for you for sure. Yeah, Joe Zemanski, elections-daily.com. He's also on the Twitter. We're going to link to all those things, by the way. That raises, you just brought it up, something like New York. Y'all actually had a piece on elections-daily. I will link to this as well. But it asked the question, is all politics still local? Well, in a midterm, it really is because we're dealing with House seats and we're dealing with Senates, although, you know, states are still local elections in a lot of ways. You're dealing with a lot of AGs. We've got a lot of governor races. I know when I looked at my ballot, my ballot, because I've already voted for early voting because I've got appointments, my ballot was probably three quarters judges. Literally, like three quarters of it was different judges. And then county commission, because the way we do it where I live is they're at large bids. So you got three for each at large. So, you know, that's a lot of your ballot, just real estate. Talk about that still, because everything's nationalized. We're all doing it. You do it for your website. I do it for my radio and my website writing, because that's how you get the clicks. But we have kind of lost that. And I think you're right to point it out that these elections are still local. And if you don't get a local flavor on some of these, you can get caught up in a bad narrative in a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to point out, too, that uh, this is just kind of a thing that happens, too. For whatever reason, gubernatorial elections are not as I don't want to say less polarized. I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but they're less nationalized. Uh, if you kind of look at numbers, obviously, you look at Republican chances in places like Oregon uh, this year. That seems to be a state where they're really kind of looking to take advantage of a situation there. And, you know, you don't really think of Oregon as a place that can elect a Republican governor. But, uh, you know, in most of the most of the past 30 years of elections and gubernatorial elections in Oregon, they've been within five points, even as the, the state has taken a pretty massive shift to the Democrats. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing for Democrats in New York and I mean, not in New York, excuse me, in, uh, in Kansas. You know, it looks like right now Laura Kelly might uh, seems to be trending towards me being the small favorite to keep her to keep her seat and to keep her governorship under Democratic control in Kansas. You know, that's just kind of how it's going to go sometimes. Sometimes these gubernatorial races, people pay attention to them more. They're more focused on certain key issues because, in all honesty, they just have a greater effect on their day-to-day -day lives. So these gubernatorial races, you know, and even these judge races, these state-level elections, they are there's less polarization. There's still less nationalization. 
they're more polarized and more nationalized than they have been before, but they're not to a point yet where you can always say that gubernatorial races are going to follow the usual partisan guidelines in some, you know, states, because, you know, if something gets bad, if something gets bad enough, you know, people will decide to change directions when it comes to these gubernatorial races. And we're seeing that in some states this year. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Joseph Mancy joins. Okay, before we get into the breakdown, state by state, race by race here, we're going to take the headline ones. Let's have a little fun, buddy. Let's play a little over-under. What do you say? So 2018, we already talked about it, to 2022, we're going to do over-unders. I'm going to give you the 2018 midterms. You tell me if we go over-under. Sound like a plan? That sounds awesome. So the Senate, the U.S. Senate went plus 2R in 2018, over-under plus 2R in 2022. Oh. That's a tough one because I I think it's going to be one I think it's going to be one or two. That's a really tough one to start off with. That's right where I would put it. I think it's going to be like one, one and a half, two. Because, you know, I I would say under, uh, because you've kind of got three states. I think it's one. I think it's going to wind up being a plus one for the You've got got four states right now, really, that are the key Senate races, and that's Nevada, uh, Georgia, and Arizona, all of which are held by Democrats, and then Pennsylvania, which is the one that's held by Republican, retiring Republican Pat Toomey. Uh, that's close right now. You know, for, no, I don't know. I don't. It's hard for me to see a Republican sweep of all that. That would be a plus three. Uh, I, I think, you know, that's hard. I'm going to go. I, if I could say even, I could say even too. But I would say right now I would go with under. Uh, yeah. yeah, that one. I the, <laughs> Funny how the more things change, the more they stay the same. huh? That's right about where you'd have it. This one's going to be a little easier. The house. We already mentioned it, plus 41D in 2018. A little different maps, of course. Of course, there's been redistricting as well. Over, under, plus 41D. Uh, definitely under, <laughs> I think, that one there. So let's I face it, it this way. Are the R's going to get 40 seats? Because I don't think they're going to get that. No, I, I would vote under for that, too. I think right now where I'm looking at it, I think I see somewhere between 20 or 30 seats. But, yeah. again, I, I would 
air caution and saying that's not like a big deal. 20 seats, again, would already put Republicans at 233 seats, and that's, I think, the low end of what we're going to get. The high end of that 243 seats, that would be more seats than Democrats had after the 20, after their 2018 midterms. So like I mentioned early on today, you know, don't just look at the numbers uh, of totally gained seats because, again, Republicans in the House are starting from an unusually high position because of an unusually successful House period in 2020. And it matters which seats, too, because 10, 10 12, 15, that's not really much of a majority because you get so much bleed off. All right, here's a fun one. That's You mentioned a couple of these races already. Governors, 2018, the D's went plus seven. Where do you see the uh, governor races over under plus seven change? I think it'll be under. I think it'll be under that. Yeah, I, I don't see it going any higher than five, quite honestly. I think actually changing hands. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with under seven, I think, this time. Yeah, good one there. All right, here's a very important one. You've already mentioned it. You talked about using it on the tool. Turnout. Turnout in 2018 was 49.4%, just under 50. To For context, that was the highest in over a century. You had to go back to 1912 to get that high turnout. Now, the Virginia special election, the presidential election, the other special election, we're seeing a trend up in turnout over under 50% turnout. We'll just round it off. I'm going to go slightly over. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're going to have surprisingly high turnout for this, but you give me your reasoning on that. Uh, I just think, I think there have been so many voting laws that have been changed uh, to that. It's no longer all E-Day in a lot of these states. The early voting laws have been changed in so many of these states because of somewhat a good chunk of them because of COVID. Uh, And those laws that were changed are still in place. That's not a bad thing. I want to point out it's not because of COVID that these laws are still in place, but because they were popular. And, uh, to a, to a certain amount of states, and I think that's just going to drive turnout in the end. You know, people have different options, and I think there's an enthusiasm aspect as well, where I think uh, the growing base number, I think, is growing and see exceedingly enthused uh, with every election. Yeah, here's a fun one. Overall spending, the 2018 midterms was $5.7 billion, over under $5.7 billion in spending. Over because I think Georgia's going to go to a runoff, and I think we're going to see another crazy amount of money be dumped in for those six weeks there. I saw I saw a thing yesterday where Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams, just between the two of them, have raised over $150 million. Yep. Like, and neither one of them have led in a poll yet. Nope, that's that, correct. That's a, that is an astonishing stat. And they've got $150 million. It's amazing. All right, this one's a little more on the fun side. So 2018 to 2022, talking about Congress here, we've had two impeachments. So over under before the next midterm in 2026, we have two impeachments. Over under. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go the hopeful way here, and I'm going to say under. I have no idea. I think we're going to get one automatically. Just We're going to get the uh, bounce back impeachment because somebody's going to want to do that. But I don't know if we'll get two, but it'll be funny. I want to throw an easy one in there.
Uh, Joe Zamansky. Okay, let's dig into a few of these. Let's start with your bailiwick, uh, Pennsylvania. Here's where I'm at on this. You know, in Vegas and sports, if something screwy happens, star quarterback gets hurt, there's a scandal, coach gets fired, something, the betting, they'll take it off the board. They'll just take it off and say, look, this is too outside the box. We don't know. We can't obviously put odds on it. We're going to take it off the board. That's where I'm at with Pennsylvania. I think we're so far off the board with this race. Oz, Fetterman, the debate fallout, the Oz stuff. I think we should just say this This is beyond – I don't think this is even a political election anymore. I think it's just a hot mess. I would just take this off the board and say I have no idea what's going to happen here. You're there. You're following it. I get the feeling Oz is maybe getting a bump here right at the end after the debate, but I don't know. But am I wrong for just thinking that way about this race? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a point to that. You know, this is this has been a race that I think the summer horse race period, I think, sold sold something to a lot of watch, uh, people that I, I never personally thought was true. And I was happy that we kind of stood by that. I, I figured this would be a close end of close race to the very end since day one. And uh, I think I've been proven pretty right on that. Uh, there's just so many different factors. Obviously, of course, Oz's negatives. Are, are still pretty well on the tank. Uh, Fetterman, of course, is still dealing with the after effects of a pretty nasty stroke. Yeah, it's it's been a thing. You know, I was able to go back. I was able to go back home uh, this past weekend, though. From I go to school uh, in Virginia, George Mason University, but I had to. I went back home this weekend because uh, the the post office uh, sent my absentee ballot back to home because they didn't like my new apartment address in Virginia. So I had to go up there and complete my ballot. But, uh, you know, I did, I, for the first time ever, I really saw, and, you know, I will say where the parts that I go up through, this is mostly pretty Republican parts of the state of the South central part of the state, but I saw the most Oz signs up. Uh, I would probably say for the first time ever, I saw the more Oz signs than Mastriano signs, uh, in this part of the area that were up and on people's lawns and on the highway and the side of the streets and everything. I probably saw more this past weekend than I have in any other time I've had to come home uh, this year. So it, one of those just really interesting things that you've seen here, uh, it's just going to be close. You know, I'm not going to say anything because uh, you'll see in our final uh, ratings that we're releasing today on Monday, the day before the election, you'll see what our final call is. Uh, but, in, you know, it's going to be really close. I think all of us at the side things probably going to be a point or two of the final margin more than that will be pretty surprised but you know this is just a race that has probably the most outside factors that are not necessarily political uh coming into play here and that makes it a, a very hard race to kind of dissect for sure yeah this is one of those two where if the turnout number moves three four five points this race changes a whole lot too um Absolutely. let's stay in pennsylvania for a minute it looks like Shapiro has pretty much put Mastriano away at this point. Uh, we'll call those self-inflicted wounds without having to get into too much of the muck surrounding his candidacy. GOP just shot themselves in the foot. Let's just call it what it is. This, this Everybody said if you elect this guy, you can just pencil in Shapiro. That's pretty much what it looks like is happening, yeah? Yeah, it, it, it's, it would have to take a pretty big shift in the data, a uh, pretty big massive data miss for uh, – Mastriano to win at this point. Uh, the there is a clear, pretty clear amount of split ticket voting going on right now in these two races. Like I said, gubernatorial races, not as polarized, not as nationalized yet. There are definitely groups of people who are upset at the Biden administration, want to vote Republican, but just 
do refuse to vote for Mastriano, uh, who has really more than any candidate in the country this year, really gone all in on uh, Christian nationalism, uh, something that I think is not uh, not something that is acceptable to a broad swath of people that you need to uh, that you need to uh, get to to win Pennsylvania. Uh, that's just kind of a fact on that there, and he he's really kind of made that his movement, and it's it's not working, <laughs> and it's really a struggle right now for him. And yeah, Republican shot. I, I I was on that train from the very beginning. I wrote three articles on it saying, hey, if we nominate this guy, things are going to go poorly, and lo and behold, things have gone poorly. You know, it's just a situation. You know, it is what it is, and the voters are very much making their opinions known on this. That they are willing to vote for Republicans and they're willing to put them in office in Pennsylvania. But uh, Doug Mastriano is a pretty clear red line in that regards for a key block of voters. Joe Zemanski joining us, our election guru. You already mentioned this. So from one state that went pretty much how we thought it was going to go gubernatorially, the one that's surprising a lot of people, New York, you already mentioned it. Kathy Hoggle's the incumbent, but she's not an elected incumbent because, of course, the Cuomo mess. I, I got to imagine that's got a little bit of after effect here. Zeld, for folks that don't know, Lee Zeldin is a very well-known political entity in New York. This isn't some outsider coming out of nowhere. Folks know who this guy is. He's ran for multiple different offices. You already mentioned it, though. The numbers just aren't there. He's going to be a lot closer than what people thought he's going to be. But no, a Republican is not going to win the governorship in New York right now. This is this is not the return of the Cuomo years. He's done, and it's going to be, what, five, seven, eight points, somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe I, higher? I think eight to ten points. The fact is, if he if he hits, like, 43 44%, that is truly a pretty incredible performance for a Republican in New York uh, statewide. It's been a pretty long time since a Republican statewide in New York has really uh, hit the kind of mid-40s in terms of percentage. If Zeldin does hit that, you know, more power to him, quite honestly. That would be pretty impressive on his part. So I, it's, but like, like I said, it's just the numbers aren't there. It, it unless something we we see something in New York City that is crazy, like Zeldin Lee Zeldin wins the borough of Queens or something because Asian voters there have just become so tired of Democrats that they they decide to just vote Republican. Uh, we just totally missed it. Then unless that happens, then uh, you know, it is, Lee Zeldin is not going to win. Joseph Mansky joining us. Let's go to a house race real quick in Virginia. It fits into how we opened, though, those that class of 2018, that blue wave. Um, Punchbowl actually highlighted this uh, the other day, and I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Abigail Spamberger's seat, hotly contested seat. She was one of those. She's more of a moderate dim. She has a lot of national security credentials. She is not a progressive. She is pretty blunt and open about it, too. She's really in a fight to try to hold on to her seat. She's one of those wave kids from 2018 that, want, look, every midterm, these look like the seats to just kind of switch back and forth. That's kind of a microcosm of how midterms goes. Like, look, you can be the hotness in one midterm. By the next one, you're just on the wrong side of the tide going out. That's kind of what she's fighting, isn't it? Absolutely. 
Uh, the seventh district is really interesting too because it was it's totally basically moved uh, positions. Uh, it used to be a Richmond suburbs district. It is now a kind of Northern Virginia exurbs uh, plus some parts of the Piedmont area. I'm talking about like Culpeper, Orange, and Green counties uh, right above uh, Charlottesville there and Albemarle County. Uh, you know, it's a very interesting seat. It has a very, very, it takes in probably the, some of the bluest, the bluest parts of Prince William County, its eastern sector, uh, the part that's always been more Democratic leaning, uh, takes in Stafford and Spotsylvania counties and Fredericksburg City, which have been trending more blue. Stafford uh, went for uh, public, uh, Democrat for the first time in a long time in the presidential race in 2020. And then you kind of have, like I said, these under Virginia counties, you know, uh, Culpeper, Green, Madison, you know, and you also have some to the east. You also have parts of Caroline County and uh, Prince uh, Prince George County, I believe is what it's called there. Uh, a little bit of an eastern, uh, kind of an eastern shore county there to the east. It's a very interesting seat. It went for Joe Biden by just around seven points. Went to Glenn Youngkin by around six points. Uh, this is a seat that really isn't necessarily going to depend on Prince William, but really going to kind of depend on Stafford and Spotsylvania County. And it's a place where there, it's a more white population. It's also a relatively educated population. There's some suburban aspects to it. There's some exurban aspects to those counties. Uh, what it's going to come down to is can Spanberger survive in those counties? Can she, if she does lose Stafford, uh, can she not lose it as by uh, by a bad enough amount that it causes her uh, to lose the seat? And can she kind of keep the margin in Spotsylvania as well? relatively close. If she doesn't do that, could be a bet could be a bad night for her and a really kind of a sign of things to come for Republicans across the country. If she does hold on, uh, then it's gonna come down to that she was able to me- I think message in this seat well. Uh, I think she's done a very good job. I have to admit that she's done a very good job of that and uh trying to make sure she keeps a hold on this seat. It's a very interesting seat though, like I said, and this is one of those flaws of re- clause of redistricting here. She's moving from her base in Henrico in the Richmond suburbs now to this kind of like I said, this Nova suburb exert seat and uh gonna see how that works out for her. Yeah, she famously knocked off David Brad. He would probably pay cash money to run in this district as <laughs> opposed to the one he lost to. It's just but that's exactly how this goes, is and now she's in with you know Vega, Yesley Vega, um, as an incumbent because it's a redrawn district. This is just the name of the game when you get into redistricting. You wind up with these kind of races where you won in one district and you've just got to completely adjust. She looks like she has, she's put a lot of the groundwork in. This is just the name of the game, isn't it? Absolutely. Like I said, this is the weird thing about it. it's a midterm and it's also the first cycle in redistricting. You know, that just makes for some totally different uh, races than what we would see previously. Yeah. Joe Zemanski, let's continue our Eastern Seaboard tour real quick. Just kind of keep some kind of structure to this god-awful mess of a midterm that we're going to be voting on. Uh, North Carolina, uh, Senate seat, Richard Burr, scandal. He's stepping aside, so it's an open seat. We have Ted Budd, and we had the shock endorsement of him. And then the more shocking thing is he won his primary without actually running in it, but we'll talk about that some other time. (laughs) Um, He's up against Sherry Beasley, who is a Supreme Court justice who got voted out in part of the last statewide red wave where they cleaned out the Supreme Court. Over redistricting, of all things, uh, was one of the hot issues in that. There's a lot of cross streams here. Uh, Beasley's actually a really good candidate running the Kay Hagan playbook. I got told that by uh, my buddy Chad, who's been doing North Carolina politics for decades. He's exactly right. She's run very moderately, ran a good campaign. 
this state is leaning a little red this cycle, though. I think it's an uphill battle. How do you see it, though? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's just going to be an, uh, it's just a very tough uphill battle for Beasley. And I think adding on to that, she, uh, she lost incredibly narrowly in 2020. She only lost, I think, by around 500, 600 votes. But even though that's, that's still someone who the voters rejected in, uh, in 2020. And that's, that's something that's hard to come back from. And the, the year that it is doesn't make it any easier. As well as, you know, you look at polls. There just really hasn't been any for any polls for her that have been over 44 or 45% for her. You know, there, there's a threshold there that she has really struggled to cross. Uh, it's really hard for me to see her pulling this out again, unless we have some massive data miss again here. Very hard for me to see Beasley pull this one out. Yeah, Ted Budd's interesting. I actually interviewed him back right before the primaries for our radio partner. You want to talk about a dude that just sticks to his message. I'm endorsed by Trump. Hey, have you heard about illegal immigration? <laughs> and then he has a whole bunch of, you know, Club for Growth ads. That's been his whole campaign. It's amazing. But it's worked. You know, I, I said I didn't think it was going to work in the primary. It worked. I was wrong. He was right. They, he said to me in an interview, he said, look, we know our data. We know what we're doing. We're touching our key 50 counties and we're going to win. And he did. And it looks like he's going to win again. So he was right. I was wrong. And it looks like he's going to be the senator from North Carolina. Let's move on down the East Coast. Hot Georgia. Um, this is a little surprising. We have the Brian Kemp, Stacey Abram rematch. When you have a race that everybody knows all the particulars, when it's a rematch like this, everybody knows pretty much everything about the candidates. I started looking for other factors. About five, six weeks ago, we started hearing some backbiting from the Democratic side about Stacey Abrams and her campaign and her fundraising and these sorts of things. When you're going to have a decently close race, let's say five points over or under for that one, that's not that's something I start paying attention to. Like, okay, why are you hearing backbiting? Because there's no such thing as a leak. People are putting that out there. Sounds like there's some blame shifting in the Abrams camp. That's not a confidence builder thing. It feels like Kemp has separated a little bit to get a little breathing room and is going to win this thing. How do you see it? Yeah. So this is this is the rare situation where, of course, this was a story in Georgia uh, over the summertime where really, other than Herschel Walker, uh, Republican primary voters pretty thoroughly uh, rejected uh, former President Trump's endorsements in uh, open and key races. Uh, not a lot of them won. Uh, in fact, I think almost, uh, you know, he lost both uh, Republican congressional districts that were open. He endorsed candidates there. He lost both of them. He endorsed candidates against incumbents in rural offices. He lost all those. And he endorsed David Perdue against Brian Kemp. And uh, he lost that. And, of course, the big upset was the Secretary of State race where he wanted to put all the chips in the bag against uh, Brad Raffensperger, uh, and uh, Raffensperger survived. So Not to interrupt that, you, does that have to be the, I think that's the most surprising election of my entire lifetime was Raffensperger, not only winning that out, winning it outright. Like, he, yeah, it wasn't close. That's, that was shocking to me. I just, that that's one of the most shocking elections I've ever seen. Yeah, it was certainly, a, that was definitely the biggest shock of the primary season for, and probably of any primary season for the last, couple of decades here uh one of the most surprising was raffensberger surviving that after all the everything that had been thrown against him uh but the fact is that primary allowed kemp to kind of separate himself uh, unlike Herschel walker from certain aspects of uh, the trump presidency and trump himself that people do not like and uh, it, it, the thing is he's a relatively pop he's a popular governor he's got an above 50 percent approval rating 
you're usually pretty hard to beat governors when they have that approval rating on them. Uh, it's been pretty hard to beat them. So, yeah, it's just Kemp has ran this race in a way that's very good. Stacey Abrams, I think, unlike unlike Kemp, I don't think the last four years have helped her necessarily. She has certainly grown a national profile, but in some ways that's hurt her, I think, a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, she's coming under some criticism for the spending usage from her fair fight pack. Uh, there's been questions about what she's actually done in terms of actually fighting, you know, I put that in quotation marks, voting, voter suppression. Uh, you know, there's been a lot more questions around Abrams and, you know, it, as Georgia becomes a more blue state, maybe the time will come for her, but this is also a race where I think is a race where certain uh, people get upset at her and kind of say, okay, you've had your chance. It's time for someone else to go the next time we have this. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Joe Zemanski, let's stay in Georgia. Okay, this was the story post-2020 election. The, the, the runoff elections in Georgia is just one of the messiest political things we probably have and or will ever see. One of those was Senator Raphael Warnock got his Senate seat. So he's running again for the full term now. It's only been two years. I was one of those that told a lot of our Republicans, and I was like, hey, that's going to be a tough out because that race was ugly. It got personal, and we're going to basically roll right into doing it all over again. Walker, we know all the problems there. Uh, Raphael Warnock, he's got some problems there, too. I think the turning point on this race that closed it back up and got it close again was we talked about it last time I spoke to you about eight weeks ago or so. Walker started taking outside advisory help. Didn't get a whole lot of headlines, but unlike J.D. Vance and some others, he got some help in. They changed their debate strategy. Remember, they lowered the expectations, which that always works because because <laughs> it's like it makes the other opponent, you know, damned if they do and damned if they don't. If you don't knock them out, you're not good enough. And if you and so all they had to do was show up, not fall over. That happened outside of the badge incident. This is going to be a very, very close Senate race. Anyway, you slice it. I think Warnock survives it, though. But what do you think? I think we're going to be talking about this again. Uh, when you think we're doing a runoff again? I think this is going to run. I would be shocked. I know there are people at my at Elections Daily who don't want to rate this. I would almost rate this as a likely runoff situation. Not safe. It's not impossible that maybe either one of these two can pull it out. But I think it's we we're hitting. I think a point where we're we're at an 85 percent chance that this race uh, goes to a runoff. I think. And I think I'm going to be right back with you here uh, on the winter break in my room, in my office, in the, in the family office back home in Pennsylvania, 
probably talking with you the night before when that runoff happens right after Christmas time. I'll probably be here talking with you the details of that race, quite honestly. Yep. And we know because we just did it. Well, I mean, it's two years ago now, but it feels like we just did. It feels like we just talked about it. Who does that help? Because, again, turnout's going to be a big thing here. Raphael Warnock won based on Joe Biden getting a massive, the biggest African-American number we've seen in our lifetimes. Um, I don't think he's going to get quite that high a number. But then when you go to a runoff, everything changes again. You get down to some diehards. The turnout's going to be a lot lower for a runoff. Who does that benefit, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> Great answer. I appreciate yeah. that answer. <laughs> you know, the fact is that in 2022, there was the, the factor of uh, Trump and certain cronies basically saying, Do doesn't matter, this election's rigged anyway. Uh, and, you know, there's a certain uh, crazy lady up in the north northwest part of Georgia, and uh, her certain congressional district was the only congressional district in Georgia that had double-digit drops in turnout. <laughs> from the from the from the general election to the runoff election so you kind of wonder one, right yeah you kind of kind of wonder how that happened don't you really kind of figure out how that happened but uh you know i don't i don't know we'll see we'll see what the factors are the factors are going to be different this time uh if republicans don't you know uh you know screw themselves over this time with just you know kind of pushing that message out to the base who knows it could be it could be helpful for it might it might pull them out this time because i think it's important to remember republicans actually did uh david purdue and uh ralph and uh, kelly leffler both did better than president former president trump did in those atlanta suburbs area in the runoff than the general election the problem was that turnout turnout in some of these deep red areas was so bad that it just didn't match up to what turnout was able to be relatively stabilized yeah. in the in those democratic strongholds so um, we are available for political consulting our dms are open yes don't tell your voters to not go vote would be yes real high it seems like a bad 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 one of those things that would seem like a bad idea yeah don't do that uh let's go up to ohio really quickly rob portman's retiring jd vance is in there tim ryan's running Bless his heart, Tim Ron's done everything except sell a kidney to try to win this race. I don't know that he could run any better than what he's ran this race. I think that plus eight, plus nine are Ohio that we're dealing with now is still going to be too. Look, my my disdain and loathing of J.D. Vance is well known. I'll lay my bias on the table. If the man was drowning, I would chuck him a center block. However, I think he's going to win this race by inertia. He doesn't deserve to. He's ran a terrible campaign. That, that Trump plus, what was it, Trump eight or nine points when he won yeah. Ohio this last – that's that's just too steep a hill for Ron to overcome, I think. Yeah, we have to remember now that Ohio, with it, it was basically the same margin that he ran with in 2016, but because of the change in the popular vote, Biden ran three points better than Hillary Clinton in the entire nation. Ohio was actually more to the right of the, of the nation in 2020 than it was in 2016. It is just a very, very hard state to look at. It, most polls now show Vance with a pretty standard, like, four- to five-point lead. It shouldn't be that bad for him. I give major, major props to Tim Ryan for forcing the issue on this and making it as probably as close as you can get it. Uh, he could, in theory, it's possible he saves Marcy Captor this way. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily underestimate that possibility. But, man, I, I just don't think he's going to – it's kind of in the same way. You don't see a whole lot of polls showing him above, you know, 46 45%. Just hard for me to see him getting that kind of extra three to four percent he needs to 
to get to victory. So yeah, I think Vance a very underwhelming margin, but I do think JD Vance is going to be the next senator from you from Ohio on uh, replacing Rob Portman there. Yeah. Uh, let's go out to Arizona. Two really messy races. Let's start with the Senate race. It looks like, what do we do with Masters? He was hot. He was cold. He was way down. Then he came back a little bit. Kelly just kind of keeps going. And again, most underreported story of this whole thing, Kelly's blown away every other Democratic country and the candidate of any office in fundraising. The dude just prints money. Um, does Kelly have this wrapped up? Again, uh, you'll see. We have that boss told me a lot. Right now. Uh, you'll see our final ratings uh, today on Monday uh, with on this Monday with uh, with what our final call is. I can say he's got it wrapped up. It's there. It's growing. Incre- it's not increasingly hard, but it just it's a little bit harder for me to see Masters winning than Kelly. I think is the best way I can put that without really giving anything away. Yeah, fair enough. Um when you have one candidate that's up and down a lot and one candidate that's just been rock steady with his floor and then the undecided starts coming in traditionally, uh, you usually go with the steadier guy, especially when they're an incumbent. That's kind of where I fall on that one. Uh, okay. Let, perhaps the messiest of the governor races, um, Carrie Lake Hobbs. You, we could spend an hour on Carrie Lake and, and all the mess involved there. Hobbs has just run a terrible campaign. She, I'm just talking on the merits of it. She's she's ran a bad campaign. And when you run a bad campaign against somebody that's really outspoken, loud, and good on camera, even though they say utterly bat crazy stuff, they say it smoothly because they're a trained tre- television presenter. They're just smoother, and the other person runs and hides. I honestly think that's probably the difference in this. And Lake ends up winning a decently comfortable two or three points. Where are you at on it? Yeah, I think I think that's been the biggest difference for Lake compared, I think, to people like Mastriano, Walker, even Masters himself. Uh, Kari Lake is just actually good on TV, and again, I would I would point out the biggest difference between her and Mastriano. Lake has not let in with the Christian nationalism angle. That is a big difference. People are turned off by that. There are people who will probably be okay with you know conspiracy, certain voting uh, conspiracy theories who are potentially turned off by Christian nationalism. Yeah. Uh, it's a something, it's something that uh, has, you know, causes sometimes, you know, very weird and stupid statements uh, that Lake just doesn't make because, or either she, she believes in that or doesn't want to campaign on it and understands that, or, you know, the fact is she doesn't necessarily go that route and she's very good at articulating herself on TV. Mastriano is very, very awkward. If you've ever seen him speak, he's he's not necessarily uh, the most concise guy in the world. So, you know, it's what yeah. it goes here. And that's props to Kari Lake. She's she's done, I think, I don't know, I don't want to say, say there's been a pivot, but I would say there's been a calm down, I'd say, a little bit. You don't see the yelling as much anymore. It's more, you know, I'm She has message discipline. Like yeah. her ideas are crazy and you could, I could argue that she's unfit for office on a couple levels. She has tremendous on camera message discipline. It's yeah. always, 
Trump, Arizona, Hobbs, media. Like yes. it's almost it's almost like a it's almost like a bingo card. She checks it off every single interview. She has tremendous messaging. And when you have the other person running away and hiding from cameras, I think that's the difference in this race, unfortunately, Absolutely. for the people of Arizona. She yeah. has great message discipline. And um, and I, I would I would agree with you that Hobbs uh running uh, a pretty miserable campaign. And the fact that Hobbs is only down one to two and kind of running this campaign is a sign that, you know, Lake probably isn't as strong as people, some people are saying she is, but it's going to be enough that it's going to be allow her to win. Yeah. And if you like Arizona politics, we're going to be talking about them a whole lot next cycle because they're going to be coming for the, for the Senator from Arizona in the next primary. Oh yes. Uh, cinema. That's going to be a God awful mess. Let's go North real quick. Nevada. Does the Senate seat go D or red? Just give me a straight up. What do you think? This is going to be a lot closer than people thought it was. I, I had a credit my buddy Edgar. He's like, hey, watch that Nevada race. He started telling me last week. He's like, that Nevada race is going to be tight. You watch that thing. Laxalt win. Corte, will you, give me an up or down. Who do you think wins? Or trending, since you don't want to give away your final. I, I, I think I would more rather be a statewide Republican in most races yeah. in Nevada right now than I would be a Democrat. I'll throw uh, you John, one more. John, John Ralston is. A very good source on this in Nevada. He's a guy who kind of understands the ballot tracking pretty well. The the usual uh, firewall that we saw in 2020 for Nevada isn't necessarily all there. As big there as it was in 2018 and 2020 in Nevada. Uh, you know, we, we made a change this past Thursday that I think shows a little hint there towards what we're going towards in Nevada in the Senate race. I think it shows a little hint. But, uh, yeah, I, I personally, if I was running a Republican campaign, I would be slightly more confident than if I was running a Democratic campaign in Nevada at this moment. Yeah, which is very strange. If you've been in, I lived in Vegas, so I've seen some of these campaigns up close. Nevada's always been a strange state. Let me throw you one more out of Nevada real quick, though. Do you think they go for ranked choice voting? It's going to be on the ballot this time. Uh, it's one of those things that when voters see it, they like it when it's on their ballot. I think they do. Yeah, I think the and the caucus thing, I think it's just gotten the word has gotten toxic enough that the uninformed voter, I hate to use the term, but for lack of a better term, I think the uninformed voter is going to say see caucus and just click the other one automatically. I think you'll have some of that going on. All right, Joe Zemanski, we went through a lot of material. This was a big information sandwich. What's what's your overall one? Is it watching the Senate? Is it watching the House? Is it the AG races that y'all been writing about? Is it the governor races? What what's going to be your top line item uh, come Wednesday morning? What happened in those four key Senate races we talked about? I think I think in the end, that's what's going to be the big story. What happened there? What happened in Pennsylvania? What happened in Nevada? What happened in Georgia? And what happened in Arizona? I think those are going to be the key storylines when we come out of here on Wednesday morning. Yep, and we'll have you back because you are the best at this. We enjoy it. Um, you tell us what you think. You tell us what you know. You differentiate between the two. Always great talking to you, my friend. Uh, enjoy the Phillies run in the World Series. It's been a while. Uh, I have no dog in that fight as a Reds fan, so I will just sit back and enjoy the Astros getting it handed to them. Um, but Joe Zemanski, Elections Ask Daily, I mean it. Go check out those tools that they have. They'll make yourself a more informed voter. My friend, I appreciate it. We'll talk in a week or two and see how we did on all this. See you later, Andrew. Thank you so much once again. Thanks, bud. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com.
Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.